Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. All right, welcome to Horizon West Church. Uh, If you do not know what's going on, that was a recap of last Sunday, which was our first Sunday in this auditorium, a new location for us as a church. And so just want to welcome you, uh, especially if you're a first-time guest. As you heard from Marcy, we'd love to to get to know you a little bit better um, and connect with you in that way. Um, It is an exciting day. I love to start a service with baptism, right? I came up here with my arms a little wet. I'm like, that's okay though, you know? I don't mind if that's the case every Sunday. We love to see people make a decision to follow Jesus and follow through with baptism. Um, if you are at any point today trying to get on your phone and, and Wi-Fi, uh, just know that that's not going to happen. It's not because of us, but Orange County Public Schools is doing some maintenance on all of their uh, schools and just happened to come on our second week. So we're improv- improvising a little bit. They're a great, uh, Horizon High School especially, a great host to us and are working with us. But just be aware um, that that's the case. And so those of you that are watching online obviously are watching On Demand. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for the opportunity for me to plug, if you ever miss a Sunday, and you'd like to watch the service and hear the, the message from the Sunday, uh, you can do that at our website, horizonwestchurch.com, um, and there's on-demand options there, as well as a podcast uh, that you can look up, Horizon West Church, to, to hear the audio as well. All right, so with those commercials out of the way, how many of you are really, really good at something? <laughs> Come on. The kids are the first one with their hands up. Adults are like two, you know, we like false humility. How many of you are good at something? Come on, let me see. Okay. Um, I'm good at some things, um, and I'm bad at some things. I want to share with you some things that I am remarkably bad at. Not things that I'm just like mediocre, but like really, really unusually bad. One is golf. I'm, I'm just terrible at golf. And people used to tell me, you just don't play enough. I'm 39 years old. I have played enough golf to tell you I'm really bad at it. Uh, for me, a good score in golf is 80 and that's on a nine-hole par three. That's, that's where I'm at. I'm just not good at it. I'm also terrible at dancing. I wish I was a good dancer. I like to sometimes think I'm a good dancer. The truth is I'm a really bad dancer. I, I was going to show you some pictures of me dancing uh, on my honeymoon at the beach. And even for me, I'm, I'm pretty okay with being humiliated. I, just, I wasn't that okay. Like, it's just bad. I'm not a good dancer. Um, and here's something else I'm really bad at. I am terrible at math. Can I get some sympathy? How many of you join me in that? Just bad at math, okay? Thank you, yes. To tell you how bad at math I am, I failed sixth grade math and I was homeschooled. And, I, and I'm not joking. Like, like I got halfway through my, my sixth grade math book and my mom said, you haven't learned anything, you're starting over. So it's just not a skill that I possess. I wish I did. But I'm pretty good at simple math, okay? The, the problem was when they started introducing letters, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> Math's numbers, it's not letters. That, 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 so right around middle school, I just kind of started phasing out. But I'm good at simple math. I want to give you a simple math formula from Exodus chapter 16. Now, I say it's a math formula. It's really a theological truth that I'm going to use math terms to, to give you. And we're going to call this provisionometry. Okay, provisionometry. Now, if you are not a native English speaker, I should add this caveat. This is not a real word. 
I have made up the word provisionometry to make a point today because you're going to remember the word provisionometry. And my hope is this. When that word comes to mind this week, you're going to remember the formula that leads to what my goal is for today. This is my goal. I want you to leave here today with an unshakable confidence in God, in his goodness and in his provision. And we're going to do that in Exodus chapter 16. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, If you don't, follow on the screen. It is the second book of the Bible, and we're in the second week of a series that we're calling Forward. And here's what we're encountering in Exodus chapter 16. If you were here last week or you've watched some of the movies on it, you remember there was a point where the the Israelites, as they're leaving their captivity in Egypt, they were slaves for 430 years. The Egyptian army's bearing down on them. They're standing at the cusp of the Red Sea and they're going, we're done, we're doomed. And God has Moses part the Red Sea, or rather God does it. He uses Moses to accomplish the miracle. And the Israelites go through on dry land. They're now a month into their exodus. And they're getting tired and they're getting weary and they don't realize they're going to be doing this for another 40 years (laughs) but a month in they're starting to fall apart and one of the first issues that they encounter not surprisingly in the desert is thirst and they finally come to a month into their journey a huge lake and they are elated to find water the problem is that the water is not drinkable it's a saltwater lake And so they call the word in the Hebrew, it's Mara, which means bitterness. It actually still exists to this day with that name. You can see it on the map here. Just north of kind of the left uh, arm there of the Red Sea, you'll see it's called the Great Bitter Lake. It's because the people couldn't drink the water. And then God has Moses do something. He says, Moses, throw a log or a stick into the lake. And what happens is the water is purified and the people can drink it. So it's a miracle, right? Which leads me to this, God could have brought them to a lake that had drinkable water. (laughs) Why lead them to a lake where there is no drinkable water? And here's what I believe. God was trying to teach them a lesson of trust. He was trying to teach them that their life is not made by their circumstances being good or bad. Our lives are made by God working good out of our circumstances, whether they are good or bad. And so the the water becomes drinkable, the people drink up, they're thrilled, and as God leads his people forward, he's going to teach them this lesson again and again. It's the one Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. This is what God is doing with us. The truth is, because he's God, he could lead you to Fresh water after fresh water. He could lead you to life after life. He could lead you from, from good to good, mountaintop to mountaintop, but he doesn't do that, does he? And God will bring us into situations that are not good so that we can learn to look to the one who's good and rely on him rather than relying on ourselves or our natural circumstances. And he does this through what I'm calling provisionometry. Here's how this works. In possible circumstances plus supernatural provision, lead to unshakable confidence. So here we see the people of God in Exodus 16. They're in an impossible circumstance. Another one, listen in Exodus 16, verses 1 through 3. So the people set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. 
And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you, Moses, you have brought us into the land of Egypt, or brought us into the wilderness, rather, to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Now, this is an impossible circumstance, but it's not the first one they've come to. The first one would be, how does a non-army called Hebrews leave a nation that is the most powerful nation in the world at the time, the Egyptians, who have chariots and horses like the sand of the seashore, how do they leave captivity with a Pharaoh whose heart is hard against them and against God? And God said, I'm going to provide a way. And then when they get out of Egypt, they come to that Red Sea, another impossible circumstance, and God parts the water. They come to the salt water, and God makes it fresh, and they can drink. So God is again and again leading them to these impossible circumstances. And I know that some of you in the room, some of you watching online, feel like you are in an impossible situation. You go, I don't, I don't logically know how to make this work in my marriage in my finances, with my children, as a single person desiring to be married. Like, like I, some of you stay up at night thinking you wake up in the morning and it's on your mind and you, and you come to a place and you go, I've thought this all the way through and I don't know the solution. I don't know how to figure this out. Matthew 19, 26 says that with God, all things are possible. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 16. The people at this point aren't just hungry. They were hungry a week ago. You know what the people are now, right? They're hangry. Do you know the difference? Hangry is when you were hungry a while ago and now you're just, just mad about it. Okay, I made the mistake early on in my marriage of not recognizing when hangry was coming on. Like, and, and, we, and, and so the people are like, rationality is kind of going by the wayside. All we can think about right now is food. That's all that we want. We want to fill our bellies. And when this happens, what often happens when we get consumed with ourselves? They start looking backward. They start once again going, hey, remember in Egypt? Man, we were eating loaves of bread, whole pots of meat that we were. Now, do you think these slaves of Egypt were actually living that way? No. But they had something so again, they're going, well, well, we were slaves, but at least we were alive. And God's saying, no, 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 people of God, the way is not backward. It's never go back to Egypt. The way is always forward. And listen to what it says in Exodus 16, verse 4. So then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out on a day's, and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. What I love about this verse in particular is by the time the people are hangry, God already has the answer to their problem. The principle there is that God knows what you need before you do. And before you know what you need, God is already, as Jehovah Jireh, our provider, he's already got the plan in place for how he's going to meet that need. I'm going to share a couple of examples in my own story, in my own life in a moment here. I want to take you first to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 verses 7 and 8. This is the Lord's Prayer. Some of you memorized this as a child. And Jesus speaking to the disciples. 
We get to Matthew 6. He says this, When you pray, do not heap up empty uh, phrases like the Gentiles, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is contrasting the disciples' way of praying or how he was teaching them to pray with the religious people. The religious people are like, oh, divine, merciful, benevolent being in heaven, thou shalt provide for my day. You know, and he's like, no, 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 it's not how it works. I'm good. I'm a provider. And more than that, you're my child. So when you have need, just ask. He's like, don't heap up these phrases. Don't think I'm going to be impressed. I'm not impressed if my kid says, oh, Father, would you please create a sandwich for me? He's like, no, no, they just go, Dad, I'm hungry. Right? He's saying, just come and just ask for what you need. And and by the way, ask and you're going to what? Receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. You know, as we talk about need, I think it's important that we drill down for just a minute. I want to share three realities about need because what can happen is when we have needs or what appear to be unmet needs, they can cause us to question the goodness of God. It can rock our faith and shake our faith. And remember the journey, I I want us to have an unshakable confidence, an unshakable faith in God. So here's a few quick realities about need. First of all, it is the natural human state. It, It is natural as humans to have need. And you go, oh yeah, because you know, the world's fallen. No, Actually, in the Garden of Eden, when the world was still perfect, Adam and Eve had needs. Adam needed a companion. It wasn't good for him to be alone. Adam and Eve together needed fruit from the trees and God provided. So even in a perfect world, it is natural for humans to have need because only God is without need. And he is our provider. But number two, need is made worse or it's exasperated by the fall or by the reality of sin. All of a sudden, we have some nations who have most of the world's non-renewable resources and are using them on themselves because of greed. And we have other nations that desperately need resources, and when they come, their governments sift off the top because of corruption. So need is exasperated because of sin. And third, need can serve a positive purpose, believe it or not, because it is our need that drives us to seek satisfaction, and that's a good thing. You know, when you get hungry, and I'm hungry right now, and I'm sure some of you are as well, you look for food. But you can't get food if you don't have the money to provide food for yourself. And you can't get money unless you have a job. And so even in a natural way, in the way our our world works, our need for something drives us to do something good, which is work. This is why, by the way, in the first century when the church was expanding all over the world and people were selling properties and giving to the poor and being generous and all of that was good and important and necessary, but there were some who were cheating the system. Like, man, these Christians are really generous. I'm just going to lay back and let them feed me. Paul says, listen, if a person among you won't work, don't let him eat. Why? Because it's need that drives us to do something that God has ordained for us, which is to work. So here's the question that we need to wrestle with and the question the Israelites were dealing with in Exodus 16. What if we have a need that is not within our power to meet? Not Not everybody's needs are because they're lazy or whatever it is. There are legitimate needs that we've done everything we can do and sometimes the solution is a little bit beyond us. This was true for the Israelites 
standing at a lake of water they couldn't drink. And it may be true for you as well in your finances, in your marriage, or in your work. Second part of the formula, first, impossible circumstances. Second, supernatural provision. Go back again to Exodus 16 at verse 13. That evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall take each an omer. This is about a a two liter in our measurements. An omer. According to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Supernatural provision. God does this in two ways. First, he sends quail to cover the camp. I've never eaten quail, but if I was hungry enough, I would do it. And he just is everywhere and they eat and it's a one-time provision. God does not repeat this miracle. They get quail. It fills their bellies, it satisfies them, and the next morning they wake up and there's something that they call manna, which just means what or what is it because they've never seen it before. And that miracle God would reproduce every day for 40 years as they journeyed in the wilderness. Supernatural provision. God said, look, you're in the middle of the wilderness. And by the way, I led you here, so I'm going to provide for you. If God led you where you are, you don't need to worry about your circumstances. God is the one leading you. God is the one who will provide for you. I shared with you that I I wanted to offer a couple examples of this in my own life. Uh, One is when I was a single uh, man at probably 23, 24 years old. I was a few years out of college and my uh, life sentence on paying student loans had begun and fortunately that life sentence is over so maybe it wasn't a life sentence but, but I was paying back my, my loans that I had taken to get through college and the amount that I owed each month was not a big number. The problem it was that it was bigger than I had to meet it. And so I had this $100 uh, student loan payment. It was coming to the end of the month. I'm like, man, I don't even know how I'm going to pay this. I'm making like $5 a year as a youth pastor. It was just a ridiculous kind of thing. And, and that Sunday, Evie Lonis, an uh, older woman in our church, she's with the Lord now. And she walked up to me. She said, Chris, God, put, this, uh, put it on my heart to, to give this to you. And I opened an envelope for exactly $100. And I knew it was from God, not only because the need was met perfectly, but because Evie was a person who walked with God and was a person of prayer and I knew that in her quiet time sometime that week God said Chris has a need and I want you to meet it she was not a wealthy person she was a person who walked with God more recently we had a need we were on a trip and my family came home and it was warm because I bumped up the AC you all do that right that's still a thing and I bump it back down and Hour goes by three hours go by five hours go by it starts to feel like our kids area it's warm just this week, we're getting it taken care of. Um, and I'm like, oh no, our AC went out. Now we had set aside a, a little bit of money, like we're good Dave Ramsey people, right? And we had an emergency savings, but the replacement for the AC was gonna take about every dollar that we had. And we just said, well, I guess we'll just start over. We'll just start building that thing back up. It's gonna be tight. We'll have to negotiate. We'll have to not do some things we wanted to do. And, and that Sunday, a couple from our church, a couple in this room right now, 
came up and said, Chris, the Lord put this on our heart to, to give you this. And I took the envelope and I stuffed it in my pocket and, you know, I do this from time to time and the whole day goes by. We finish our teardown and putting everything back and I go to get in my car and I feel the envelope and I'm like, oh, I pull it out and I open up a check for to the dollar, the amount that it costs to replace our air conditioning unit. And that was a big number. <laughs> it's like, man, I, I got to make sure of something. So I called uh, the, the, the man. I said, hey, I just want to make sure with the size of the gift, like this is for the church, Right. He's like, no, 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 this is, this is for you and for Nikki. The Lord put it on our heart to do this for you. Supernatural provision. Like, I, I, we, I didn't have a way to just kind of drum up that money, but the Lord provided, the Lord spoke and said, there is a need and you're going to be the one to meet it. And here's what happens when we experience supernatural provision. God's blessing in the present, his provision in the present, gives us faith and confidence to trust him in the future. So now when we have those things, we don't panic we, we're, we're, we try to be wise, we make plans, we, but man, sometimes God just wants to show up. Now notice in Exodus 16, there's an important stipulation that God puts on this provision because it's not just like, it's not a free-for-all. Like, hey, I'm gonna provide food and you can just have all that you want. Do you notice what God says? Look at Exodus 16, verses 19 and 20. So Moses said to the people, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But the people didn't listen to Moses, shocker, some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them. By the way, it's funny to me that the Bible has the word stank in it. That just, I don't know why. It's like my middle schooler coming out, but that's what it says. So here's the stipulation. God says, I'm gonna provide, it's gonna be all that you need. In fact, it's gonna be exactly the amount that you need. But here's the stipulation. You can't store up any of it. Some people are like, I don't know, man, I was really, really hungry. I'm just going to keep a little bit back and then I'll just eat more in the morning. Next morning, it's rotted. Why? Because God wanted them to learn to trust him for daily provision. Remember what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer? He said that we're to pray, give us today our what? Daily bread. And these people are storing it up, accumulating it, thinking about their future. We would call that wisdom. God called it faithlessness. I want to gently, if I can, and, I, and I'm going to step out into some murky waters, but I hope you hear my heart when I say this. I am not against saving money. I, it's being able to save money that allows us to do things like generously bless and, and give to other people and to give to this church, all for it. But I want to offer a word of caution around wealth management or wealth building. Now, there is wisdom in making sure that you've saved money to where you're not a burden to your children, a burden to your church or your community, and, and that's an important thing to do. But I want to create this tension where you go, man, how much is enough? Like if, if all that I'm thinking about is, is some potential need that I might have in the future and I'm neglecting the present needs of people around me, I'm not being a Christian, I'm just being a good American. See, and I think we need to create this tension where we go, yes, store what you need to store for the future, but, but don't accumulate wealth to the point where you go, I'm never again going to have a need because God wants to meet your daily needs. It's the lesson he was teaching to the people. Here's a principle or a way to think about this. When we hoard what God has provided, we hinder what God has purposed. God blesses us. And we go, man, we're going to take all of that and we're going to put it into our bank for, for some future date. God says, no, 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 I blessed you to what? To be a blessing. 
I blessed you to meet needs in your community, to give and to care and to to help in the present. Another thing happens in this passage I want to gloss over. You understand that the people's need was legitimate. They were hungry. They needed food. We can't survive without food and water. And God met their need. But what they did, what the temptation always is, is to meet our legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. So we go, man, yeah, we have legitimate needs for companionship, for appreciation, for food, for water. But what happens is the enemy always wants to get in there and cause us to pursue what's a legitimate need, but to do it in an illegitimate way. And this is what's happening in Exodus 16. They're going, well, God gave it, so I'm just going to store it all up. He goes, no, 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 I gave it, but I also gave you some ground rules for how to steward what I have given. And when we receive God's good provision in God's way, it leads us to the third part of the formula. First, impossible circumstances, supernatural provision, and finally, unshakable confidence. What do you think that the people of God expected to eat on day 6,492 of their wandering? Can I tell you? Manna. Because <laughs> it's what they ate on, six, on day 6,491 and day 6,490 and 6,489. And every day they were eating manna. By the way, it's important to say this. Do you know that this supernatural provision of God, eventually, they grew tired of it. They began to grumble, not because they were hungry, but because they were just tired of manna. It is altogether possible, and unfortunately it happens all too frequently, that even when God supernaturally provides for us, we begin to lament and go, it wasn't quite enough. It's not what I want. That spouse you blessed me with, the children you gave me, the job you provided, we start to to begrudge the very things that God has provided for us. But the people at least learned this. Even though they were grumbling, even though they were complaining, at least they learned this, that they could trust God to be their daily provider. They went to bed and knew in the morning there's going to be manna laying on the ground because God is Jehovah Jireh. Let me bring all of this home to where we live. I mean that figuratively, but I also mean that literally. I want to bring this home for a second. Um, I don't want to diminish or downplay legitimate needs that I know some in our church community have financially. We're not all wealthy. We're not all, you know, but the reality is as we drive through the neighborhoods in this area, we can see, man, it's not material needs that jump out at you. It's not not people on the street corners begging. We're in a pretty well Uh, off community and as much as our community has met its resources its material needs oftentimes what happens is they've overlooked their most important need which is spiritual so they've got the nice home and they've got the new car and the kids are doing all the activities but if you were to look at the state of their marriage the state of their soul the state of their relationship with God it is abject poverty And what I want you to understand is this same formula that works in the natural world also works when it comes to spiritual need. Every single one of us was born into an impossible circumstance. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we were by nature dead in sin and without God and without hope in the world. Now, you might go to some churches and hear that all you've got to do is, you know, find the goodness in you and and whatever, but we don't preach that. We don't believe that. We believe that our natural state is is separation from God and that God provided a provision, a supernatural provision named Jesus to take care of our desperate situation. 
You might remember a, a scene in the New Testament where Jesus is with another crowd of people who are hungry. And the disciples say, Jesus, send the people home so they can buy bread. He says, no, no, we're going to feed them right here. And they're like, all we have is one small meal. And Jesus says, it's enough. He takes two loaves and five fish and he breaks them and he distributes and 5,000 plus people eat. And the next day, that same crowd shows up and they're like, Jesus, we're going to follow you. You know why? Because he met their physical need. And Jesus saw past it. And Jesus said this in John chapter 6, uh, verse 48. Let me turn there. John 6, 48 through 51. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You were in an impossible circumstance, separated from God. God gave a supernatural provision named Jesus. That's why Paul says that God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became the bridge back to the Father. And if we walk through the impossible circumstance that we're in spiritually with the supernatural provision that is Jesus, we can have unshakable confidence in God and who we are in him. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is a legal term. It means you are, you are by law the child of God. When he's adopted you, just like in our world, when you've adopted a child, they're yours, 100%. And in the same way, when God adopts us through faith in Jesus, we are his child and God is not a father that neglects his children. He is their good provider. I want to end in kind of a unique way this morning. I want to give you an opportunity. You're not going to come forward or stand or that kind of thing, but if you have a need in your life, I'm going to ask you in just a moment, just make a symbol like this with your hands. Cup your hands together. This might be in your finances. This might be in your marriage, your home, your work. But if you have a need that God's bringing to your mind right now, you go ahead and do that. We're going to sing again the song Jaira, you are enough. And here's what I want you to do as we sing. I want you to imagine this empty vessel that you're bringing before God being filled by God with his abundant supernatural provision. It may be a spiritual need. It may be a marital need, a relational need, whatever it is. But you receive from the Lord in faith. Say, God, I receive by faith your provision. And if that provision, if that need is to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would love to know about that and to pray with you for that. As the team leads us, you stay in a posture of prayer with your hands open to the Lord and receive from him. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.